0: Each individual has their own decision-making tools in their back pocket, ready to utilize for every choice, regardless of how different they are. However, if we truly want to become better at the art of making decisions, then we need to break out of these patterns and see things differently, even if that pushes us away from our comfort zones. In today's episode, we are digging into the data to better understand our own decision-making strengths and blind spots. Welcome to The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm host Brianna Koren, and joining me today is renowned psychometrician, Joe Folkman, and our expert guest, Cheryl Strauss Einhorn. Now, Cheryl is the founder and CEO of Decisive, a decision sciences company using her area method decision-making system for individuals and organizations looking to solve complex problems. Her new book, Problem Solver, is about the psychology of personal decision-making. Cheryl, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump into that research, I just want to know... How did you become this expert so heavily focused on decision making?
1: Well, thank you again for having me. You know, it all started because of my background as an investigative journalist. I spent over 10 years at the business magazine Barron's and there I ended up specializing in what you might call the bearish company story. Those are stories that take a skeptical look at a company's finances or at their strategy. And when those stories were published, there'd often be a very large share price reaction. A couple of the companies went out of business. One of the companies, the CEO, ultimately ended up being sentenced to 10 years in jail. Now, what I realized about these stories is you're not just discussing somebody's investment portfolio, you're discussing potentially their retirement account. If they're an employee there, it's their ability to get up in the morning and go to those places of work. And if you're a customer of the business or the service that's being offered, it's your ability to really trust And so I just started to think about, well, who am I as a decision maker? How do I know that I'm gathering the right evidence, that I'm giving it the proper kind of analysis, that I know what kind of skepticism to bring to the conversations that I have with people, to think about their incentives and motives when they speak to me as a source for one of these stories, and also for my own upbringing, what kind of mental mistakes could I be making? Hmm. And at the time, the research that was just beginning to come out is that we have these natural heuristics, these mental mistakes, and the recommendation was build your awareness. And I thought that's not practical or actionable. If I'm being told to build my awareness, aren't I actually being asked to sort of double down on the mistakes that I'm already making? And so I thought, given my background in research, could I think about cobbling together a system that could uniquely control for encounter cognitive bias and work to really expand our knowledge while improving our judgment? And so, initially, I was just trying to do a more ethical job myself at Barron's to make sure that the stories I was telling were stories that should be told. And so, that is how I came to put together what I now call my area method.
0: In the article that you wrote on HBR, which I, I will link um, in the episode notes, you said, quote, the truth is many of us approach decision-making from the same perspective over and over. We use the same tools and habits every time, even if the decisions are vastly different. I read that and I was I was immediately hooked because I thought, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I do that. I, I do that all the time. And I kind of pride myself on being a good decision-maker but am I using the same habits and the same biases for every decision? It really kind of opened my eyes. So I'm curious, from your research, why does following these same strategies for decision making limit our abilities?
1: Well, what my research has identified is that there are different things that people value in their decision making. And so, for instance, some people value speaking with trusted advisors in their trusted circle of people. Some people value collecting data. Some people value going with their gut and the ability to move forward quickly. Some people value having a creative or out of the box idea that nobody else has seen. And so what you begin to understand is that because we have certain things that we value in our decision making, There's no one right way to make a decision. But by using the same habits over and over, we're probably leaning into what we value. And we also have developed some blind spots about what else we might actually need and how leaning into those same habits over and again prohibit us from really being able to get a more fulsome understanding of the decisions before us.
2: Well, Cheryl, uh, in your research, you identified these uh, problem-solving approaches, these different five approaches, and there was the adventurer, the detective, the listener, the thinker, and uh, the visionary. By the way, I took the self-assessment, and I am a thinker. I'm so excited. (laughs) And my my backup is listener. I'm going to tell my wife that because she'll – she might be skeptical about the listening part. I don't know. But I yeah, yeah, the this by the way, the self-assessment was really fun and easy to take. And I I I thought that was that was really helpful. Uh but as you think about these five different approaches to help others recognize the way they make decisions, people can approach making decisions in a variety of different ways. So how do you decide which uh, approach to use and and or or do you just sort of like go with your gut?
1: <laughs> there is no one right way. What I think the research shows is that intellectual diversity really is something that can give us a more fulsome understanding of our decisions, and that if we build our awareness of the five different problem solver profiles that I've identified we have an opportunity to become a more dynamic decision-maker. Unlike some of the other assessments, something like a Myers-Briggs, the problem-solver profile is not proscriptive. It's what you tend to do. I think of it akin to handedness. You might be right-handed or left-handed, but through effort and being thoughtful, you can become ambidextrous. So you can develop the different decision making skills and you might decide if you're a thinker, maybe you want to buy insurance like a detective, but maybe you prefer to go on vacation like an adventurer and so on, and identifying where the discomfort is in your decision making by learning about the different problem solver profiles, you can really get a sense of where the growth might be, because the discomfort is not bad. It's just telling you that you have a resistance, but you can still develop those skills to become more dynamic and learn from other decision-making profiles. And you can also try to seek out people who think differently from you when you are making a decision to help bring in the types of questions that they might come with to help you have that more fulsome understanding. Mm
2: -hmm. In some of our research, uh, we, we got excited and wrote this book called The Inspiring Leader. And and as part of that, we we looked at how people go about inspiring, and uh, we found that there were five different approaches that people could use, which is was really helpful because for most people, they believe that the only way you can be an inspiring leader is to be a charismatic, out there, bold kind of person. And we found there were very different approaches that people could use to be inspiring, the, there was an expert approach, the visionary, the enhancer approach where you, it, it was really, you know, very people oriented, a principled approach, a driver and an enthusiast. What we discovered with this is that this interesting thing of that, the value of using multiple approaches, <laughs> you know, that, that if you use multiple approaches, it was better. Is that, the same thing with your research that you kind of sort of, here's my go to, here's the one I usually use, but gosh, I ought to broaden these and I'm going to get a better answer.
1: I think what you're getting at, at its root is sometimes it doesn't necessarily matter which skill set is your skill set. It is understanding and being aware of that skill set, being able to communicate that clearly to other people so that they can understand what your orientation is. And so I would say that it's the same way with being a good decision maker. There's no one right answer about what is a good decision maker, right? The through line of great decision making is knowing what you value and building decision making skills so that you understand how it shows up in your decision-making, and you also have an appreciation that somebody else is not necessarily being hasty, right? Maybe they're an adventurer and they value forward momentum, or they're not somebody who's flaky. They actually are somebody who really wants to think about what's possible that we haven't already thought of, and that's the visionary and so i think it's the combination of mm-hmm. those two things together that really can help make you a great decision maker
0: yeah and i like the bringing other people in too that you know have look at it at a different way and go you know i have to make this decision
1: getting kind of their way into since they absolutely and i think a lot of times instead what we do is we tend to think everybody should make decisions our way and so identifying first the psychology of your own personal decision making and who you tend to be in your decision making is what can allow you to figure out why you use your learning in certain ways and again to identify the discomfort which is where the growth can come from and the new skills you'll probably
2: want to be engaging with. So Cheryl, one of the really beneficial things I think you put in your article is this idea that each decision-making profile had some blind spots associated with it, right? So it's like, well, you tend to do it this way and here's what can get you into trouble on this. When you start understanding these blind spots, I think it helps you sort of figure out what might be a problem with a particular style. Can you give us a few of these biases, these cognitive biases that are associated?
1: So the five different problem solver profiles are adventurers, detectives, listeners, thinkers, and visionaries. And each of them has some beautiful strengths, but those strengths also show up as blind spots or cognitive biases. So the fact that the adventurer, for instance, favors forward momentum the downside or the blind spot, the cognitive bias that matches that is optimism bias. They're optimistic thinking it's gonna work out well. And they also have this beautiful resiliency that's sort of built in, which is if I make a poor decision, I'll make a new decision and that's okay. For somebody like the thinker, you have somebody who really wants to understand their options. And while that's thoughtful, And that is contemplative, the cognitive bias that I've identified that goes with that is the relativity bias, because they really want to understand one option against another. And that also has a certain frame blindness for how they frame the decisions. For somebody like the detective who likes to look for data and is going to come with research, the downside or the blind spot of that is confirmation bias, because they've identified the data that they think is most compelling, and then they get anchored in that. And so the anchoring bias and confirmation bias can get in the way of the detective. One more example, the listener who we talked about earlier is somebody who really likes to get the counsel of their trusted advisors. The cognitive bias that is associated with that, for example, is the liking bias. They may tend to favor information that comes from this trusted counsel who they like, regardless of the fact that the counsel may not be optimizing for the same thing in the outcome of the decision. They may be thinking about the decision from an entirely different vantage point. And so recognizing your strengths and the mirror image of the cognitive biases, you can have a better sense of what tends to get in your way And then you can work with the cheetah sheets that I have in my new book, Problem Solver, that take you through how to bolster your strengths and limit those pitfalls. Yeah. So
0: in your conclusion of your article, you said, quote, while it's not always easy to think outside your own box, remember that you're building both strength and flexibility In the decision-making muscles you need to make your big decisions better. So even if you pride yourself on being a good decision-maker, perhaps, you know, we all could take a step back and consider, like you talked about, the different ways of looking at the decision and the biases that come with our natural tendencies. So Cheryl, is there any other parting advice you would give our listeners about this critical skill of decision-making?
1: Yeah, I would say, look, there's two kinds of learning, right? There's knowledge and there's skill. And I think of decision-making as a skill, which means that I can teach it to you and those skills can be yours. And there's nothing that we do more in our day and yet it's the only thing that we actually ever have control over. Mm -hmm. And so if you can become a better decision-maker, you can have better confidence and conviction that you can move towards a satisfying future.
0: The 90th Percentile and Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corrin, Jack Zanger, and Joe Folkman, and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you are interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award winning 360 degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at ZangerFolkman.com. If you like our podcast, tell your friends and co-workers about it, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a great review. We really like to read them. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in our episode details or on our podcast page on
1: ZangerFolkman.com.